This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FYI, All Things Mental Wellness. Our guest this week is a born and bred Aubrey boy. And other than a year in Melbourne, Aubrey is where he's remained. He is one of three children and comes from a close-knit family who have been nothing but support of his journey. He's well known and respected in the local soccer circles where he not only played locally and coached, but he has also represented New South Wales and played in the inaugural year with the Murray United in the NPL League. He's not only a talented soccer player, he's also handy at Aussie rules. He played a couple of years with Jindera where he was fortunate enough to play in a senior grand final win. These days he enjoys having a hit of golf and spending time with his beautiful young family. He's a keen Geelong supporter, and even though he's a very quietly spoken man, I believe his partner has to pull him in line occasionally with his carry-on when they play. A sparky by trade, he turned his hand to disability support work where he currently works as a support worker, and by his own admissions, he wouldn't change it. Today he's been brave enough to have a chat with us all about his struggles with addiction, a genuine, honest and raw man who's willing to tell his story in hope to help others. Cade Rickson, welcome to FYI. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be here and talk about all things addiction. Beautiful. Thanks, and Kate. football. Football. You're going about soccer. I heard it was football. Well, it is, it is football, but we're in, we're in Australia, aren't we, Kate? Oh, so it's soccer. I do soccer. call it soccer myself, so I'm happy yeah. to roll with soccer. There you go, honest. right? That's good. Soccer. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us, I don't know, let's start at the start. Tell us you're one of three. So I know you've got a brother who's also been a local soccer player and you've got a sister. I do, yeah. Trent, so he was a local soccer player here. He went, he went to Melbourne at maybe 19 to continue playing down there. He was a bit more driven than uh, what I was, and he made quite a good career down there in Melbourne, playing some pretty big clubs down there um, in the NPL. Yep. And uh, Melissa's been in Melbourne as well. She's down there for the last almost the same time. She must have gone down there at 18, 19, 20 as well. So they're both in Melbourne, and I'm stuck here in Albury. Stuck by choice, by the sounds of it. I do do enjoy it here. I'll take that back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And married? Uh, I'm not. No, I've got a little kid and uh, one on the way. Oh, nice. No, not married just yet. Married, that's just a term, isn't it, these days? Yeah, I'm going to say it isn't, partnership. so I don't get in trouble. But. No, it's a, well, it's a partnership. That's yeah, why tread lightly. Call Kate, it marriage, call it lightly. partnership. No, it's a good thing. Yeah. And kids are well? Very well. Little Hallie's 13 months old now. Yeah. She keeps me on my toes uh, more often than not. And the little one, the next one's coming in June, Jan 5. So yeah, yeah. prepare for two little ones under two. You're going to need some skates on, two under be, two. It's going to be very interesting yeah. how we... Here we go with it. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a challenging couple of years, but, yeah, you'll get over that little busy hurdle, I guess. Well, yeah, we've got a lot of good support around us. I think we're going to be pretty pretty lucky yeah. and pretty blessed. Yeah, that's that's always handy. 
So I grew up in a in a beautiful, loving family. All all's well. Um, Wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, righto. So. I guess we're here to talk about your addiction, Cade. So when did things change for you? You know, I'd like to know the start of when you noticed something changing, I guess. Yeah, I know for me it was, I sort of started at 16 years old uh, and I do remember that very first bet, um, whether it was because I'd won or not, I don't really know. But I do remember it was just a thrill at the start and it was just the Saturday thing, obviously the big race. I was more of a horseman at the start. And so the big races there were on a Saturday and they would just, you'd pencil them in, you'd want to bet on those days and you, you tend to walk away after those, um, those Saturdays to begin with. And then you sort of, I guess, carry on down the track. It then became into horses, harness and greyhounds. And it then became like a Wednesday, Saturday thing where that was the, again, the city mates. So you'd sort of pencil in the city mates. And then you sort of go down the track again, introduce sports. And that's where always been a keen sportsman myself I thought I could probably win the most money there or I thought I was going to be better at that than I was yep. at the horses that, that the horses were always a study form think you know the horse that's going to win that's just a common uh, phrase I guess you of use course. and then yeah it was never going to happen sports I thought I'd be better at so I'd bet on the AFL the soccer and then by the end of the well, gambling journey it got to a point where I was just betting on best baseball played in Japan basically it was mm. Everything I enjoyed doing about it, just there was no enjoyment at all towards the end of it. So when you started, was that something you did with your mates? Was it just a bit of fun to, to yeah. kick off with? Yeah, it was. I, mean, I was at, uh, in Melbourne with, with my brother at the time, yeah. the very first bet. And I remember, because I was only 16 at the time, I remember saying to the boys, look, God, that was when I was living in Melbourne there for a little bit. Uh, I said to the boys, you know, come down to Melbourne. I've got a place we can actually get into the pub and we can have a few bets. So, and that's where... Probably started from there, mm-hmm. and then I moved home a short time after that, and then it was just a, a mates all the time. It was always the good group of mates that we just loved doing the same thing. So it probably went hand in hand with. Sure. So it was a bit social to begin with. Yeah, it was. It was definitely social. We, I never thought about the turning point for me. I, I do remember the, the point where it, it really did strike me at first that, geez, I, I think I've got a problem here. Mm. But for the first five or six years, it was yeah, it was. I felt well. At the end of the day, it's not illegal. No. What you're doing is not wrong. You know, there's there's no, no law against what's happening there and it's a social environment. So that's clearly a comfort level when you're, when you're playing around like that, I suppose, to start with. Yeah, and, and I always found that when I was gambling, I was probably happiest. Mm. That was probably masking things that I'm not aware that oh, I had in me or have in me that maybe I, I was hiding from. Looking um, for something. Yeah. You know, I do feel I do feel that when I was gambling was when I was – I was the happiest. When I look back now, I was probably, I was quite numb. Yep. But you were an apprentice at the time? Yeah. So I had an electrician apprenticeship that I'd uh, started, must have been around that time. Yep. And probably one of my biggest regrets would be through the gambling and my apprenticeship, my apprenticeship was put aside. It was all my focus went into picking the, the next horse. Or oh, the, really? Yeah. So I'd, I regret going through my apprenticeship, I scraped by and I'm, can openly admit that through work I wasn't a hard worker I was for me it was get out of work go straight to the pub let's have a bet yeah so I, so I were do. the bets little because I'm, I'm looking at apprenticeship wages here for Sparky's apprenticeship wages they weren't real flash no uh, was, you, even now they're not real flash so you know first second year at, at first because I, I was young I was at home so it was easy enough to oh, so you didn't have a lot, there. Of, lot of expenses yeah a bit of free money yeah it wasn't until I moved out at 18 that 
basically you'd spend your wage, and that, but at that time I, I didn't feel bad about that. It was always, oh, I'm going to get paid again in seven days' time or six days' time. What can I then back? What can I then go and bet on? I'd look at horses coming up, and and then by that time that day comes around, you're ready to go again, and you whether it's a day or two that you have money, you might have a win, so it might stretch a bit longer. Uh, it just became that real, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't cycle. Yeah, I wasn't upset about losing the money at first. And then what, where did it go from there? So obviously in your own mind it, it was fairly controlled while, while you were doing that for a few years. It was a, a social thing like you said, Bernie, and almost a habit as well. Like not, not, not in a bad, bad sense but sorry? Like smoking. Smoking. Yeah, that's right. Start, a lot of people start Well, it's just what you did a, on the weekends with your mates. It's exactly. probably no different to a group of mates <clears throat> getting together and going the footy or – so. When did it go to the next level? I do remember the, the turning point for me, and I guess the, the way I look at it, the long part would be at first I would, I'm would i happy to go to the pub with the boys and have a bet, and that'd be like a to – the, at the end of the day, it was probably more four or five days a week towards the end of the start of the 20s. And then I, I started to know then that I started to develop a problem when by the end of my gambling, I, would, I was so methodical about how I went about it, I'd be – when I first started, it was with the cash. I'd always have cash on me. So I'd go to the bank, I'd get $200 out, and then I'd you know, spend that, go back 10 minutes later, more money out. And mum would sort of pull me up on it and say, you're getting money out of the bank, like what's going on? And for me, because the money wasn't directly into a sports bet account, or I could just keep saying that oh, I had a big night last night or lent the boys money. Mm. Yeah. So I was, I was really methodical in, if I didn't have the direct line of sports bet, she can't, yep. doesn't really know. Yep. Thinking back now, she knew what I was doing. But at that point, you were hiding what you were doing. Yeah, hiding the extent of it. I would, everyone knew I loved to have, loved to have a punt. And sure. I, I did love the horse. I was just hiding how far I was going with it. Mm. Yeah. And it was, I remember it was around 21, 22, where I'd won quite a bit of money on the Saturday. And then the next day, there would have been, I must have had soccer on. There was a reason why I didn't go down and spend it. Because at that, that stage, it was I was down there every day. And I had a partner at the time. And on the Monday, I went there straight after work to the pub and I just lost it all. All the stuff I'd won, I'd lost and spent my wage the same day. And I knew then that... So what are we talking about here? What did you win and lose in that day? Uh, it would have been two or three grand either way. And That's was, a lot for someone on that income yeah, at that point. Yeah, it's sort of 21, 22, but it wasn't so much the money that I'd lost that the money would be great, yes, but it was just the thoughts and the feelings I had from that. Straight away, I, I knew that it, by the time I'd driven home to my partner that I wouldn't have said anything to her. So I sort of sent her a message then saying, look, I need to tell you something tonight. So that for me was, I then can't get out of it. So when I went home that night, I just said to her, like, I've got a gambling problem here. And then, I mean, she was 21 as well, 22. Like, it was so raw for her. I didn't mm. really know what I was talking about. Mm. And for me, because I'd said that, that was that was it. What drove you to think that? What drove you to admit to her that you had that problem? I mean, yeah, okay, you'd lost money that day. But you'd lost money before, clearly. Yeah. Made money, lost money, made money, lost money over a long period of time. What do you reckon was the trigger that day? I was with her for a couple of years and I was just lying. Not I was lying to her, but I was lying to my family, my friends, because every day I was I was going to the pub every day. And that's where where we after work and I'd, I'd stayed back at work or it was just a constant lie. And it got to a point where you just become exhausted of it. Yeah. And you just think, mm. I'm not going to keep – not so much. It was more selfish of me saying that because – the more I was doing it, the more I was hurting myself. I was upset. I was little things like I'd planned to have a 
we'd go this Saturday night, let's go out for dinner, let's go do something nice together. By the time Saturday comes around, you've spent everything and you're then saying, oh, look, I'm sick, I can't do anything. And they're, they're, they're buying you dinner, they're just treating you like a king. But behind the scenes, you know exactly what you're doing. Mm. And it just became, yeah, it's, it's, it's a yeah, double Yeah, that off. must be hard because you've got morals and, and obviously you understand that that's the wrong thing to do. So I'm just seeing a lot of conflict in your own head. I've, I've got to do it because it's an addiction, but then look at what I'm hurting. Yeah. And look what I'm, so that, that's tough. Were you putting yourself into debt? Was there times when you had no money and you – you went hunting for you know over, you know overdrafts or something to get more money. There's a constant battle. The, the only time that I so I wouldn't gamble would be I'd get paid, I'd gamble everything, and then those next six days are uh, at the start. As I said, I, I didn't care about. It. I could just I'd think about what I'm going to bet on next. But then by the end of it, it was six days in the mirror, just beating yourself up, calling yourself a lot of names. Just you're really not you're not a good person. And on the back of that, you're then trying to get. I'm ringing mum to. Like I need to get money to go and get this or go and get that. I've got my, I had a credit card, which I only got two grand, and every time I tried to get more, I just straight decline it. I tried so many times to get the 500 quick cash, and I just kept getting declined, which was good. Mm. So the, at the end of it, the debts that I'd accrued over time were just all family, and that was doesn't make me feel any better because the whole time that they're paying for my rent and my food and car regos and stuff that mm. they – they knew what I was doing to an extent, but not. And I just had so many lies as to why I needed this money. And that was getting to the point where you're stealing money from your own brother. And he's like, he's a big part of my life. And sort of thinking about that and stealing the money from him and lying to him about it. And you sort of think back now and go, you're not, you're not a good person. You weren't a good person through those days. Oh, that's, mm. a, that's, a fair, um, mm. that's a fair thing to admit that you've, mm. you know, you're pinching money off your family. And that's, that's Yeah. And, I mean, I'm. Mum, I'd heard a lot of money and, and my dad as well. And the same thing, as much as I didn't directly steal that, it was just a constant lie to to borrow it. to get money. And mm. again, I'm just going to mm. go blow that straight out. There's the times where uh, I was for Trent's wedding, actually, where I'd spent everything I had and I said to mum, look, I need some money to get some accommodation in Bright. And she lent me 500 bucks. And to me, it was just that constant battle again. I can take this money and, and have a good weekend in Bright or you know, I can go in a little bit more. And... Straight away, I just chose to go straight to the pub and spent majority of it. And then, yeah, my partner at the time, she covered a bit of those losses for me to get to Brighton. And that's something that, yeah, I didn't that up to your, your mother, which I'm not even sure she knows about that part of it. It was just a constant battle with what, who'd I lie to here, who'd I lie to there. That's going to be doing – that's – I mean, the, from the – it's very difficult to – to understand the addiction. It's very difficult to, mm. for a lot of people to sit on the other end of this conversation and go, well, why don't you stop? You know, that's that's obviously a really hard thing for people to understand, which is why I applaud you for having the balls to stand, mm. sit where you are and, and have this chat with us and help people to try to wrap their heads around how the process works and, and what you're thinking at the time to, to not to justify it because that's not what you're trying to do, but to educate people around how the thought pattern goes to get there because f from listening to what you're talking about and the way you beat yourself up every single day your own mental health must have been screwed you know you, you're bouncing the guy in the mirror to to the addicted guy that you're living with as well it's almost a multiple personality thing isn't it yeah and that's you sort of touched on it there one thing i'll never do is try and justify what i've done and that was even touching back on my brother with when i told him about the money i'd taken and i end up to him about that later on in my head it was he can walk away from me 
and that's fine. I, I can accept that. And if he's willing to hang around and, and stand by me, then that's that's what I want. And that's and to his credit, he actually did that. And just on the, I guess, the justification, I remember when it all fell apart and I had the – Matt Griffiths came out to my place, was his name. He was runs the GA meetings here. And it was a bit of a, an intervention as to, right, enough's enough. And by then I'd given up. And whether I was alive or not, I didn't care. So I just, to me it was come out, like talk to my family, I don't care anymore. Who, who called him? Sorry to interrupt, Cade. So how did you ha, – how did that come about? So I, I'd been to GA meetings – up until then to, right. to relapse. Okay. So, and I knew Matt through – biggest reason I came out and came clean was he put a Facebook post up of him a year clean and I just read it and it always stuck with me that I thought, geez, like I need to do something about this. And it was just by chance that I'd had a few beers one night down the street and seen Matt. Yep. And I seen Matt and I said, look, mate, I need a bit of help here. And then he kept pestering me for the next four or five months, like come to the GA meeting, let's catch up. Yep. And I just kept pushing it back. But then when he did come out and sat down with the family, I'd put mum through so many tears and so much pain and she'd get quite upset. And then I remember the intervention was the very first time. It was my sister, my mum, me and Matt there. And we went through everything, how much you know you owe, just hand everything over. I had to hand all my bank cards over, all my accounts for them to look after. And it was the first time that mum didn't cry. And I remember her just sitting there just looking. And then by the end of it, Mum just said, I've heard it all, like I'm I've heard it all, I'm sick of it, what's yeah. gonna change this time? Yeah. And, and that really stuck with me. And then leaving there, I got a call off Trent. And Trent, I thought, okay, it's gonna be, are you okay? Like it's been a long day. And when I answered the phone, it was just you're selfish, you're just so many words that He was into you. Yeah. And and by the end of it, I didn't argue with Trent. I just said, That's exactly that's it. Like I, I can't justify what I've done and, and how it's how it's been done. I feel like those those two moments for me stood out because it was what I needed. I didn't need to be pat on the back and say, yeah. you're going to be okay. Mm. And, and I tend to agree mm. with that, is that sometimes you just, you've got to hear it as raw as it comes out of someone's mm. mouth because they need to vent at you as well so that they can heal oh, and help you right. through that next step. Is that yeah. fair to say? No, mm. definitely. Yeah. Especially your mum, she'd been through, she'd been to hell. She'd, she'd rang up you know, a few months prior to that and it's crying, I've give up, like I'm not doing this anymore. And to me, that should, that should have been... I've obviously overstepped what I've done already. That should be just, you're not going back to it again. It wouldn't stop me though. I'd still go back. Far out, Bernie. Like I know addictions are addictions, but, you know, you love them and, and they're saying those words, but you, you just don't have that, I don't know, look, I'll call it strength. I, I, I'm not saying you're weak by any means, but you still can't find that strength to to stop. To overcome it. And, you know, stop affecting the people that you love the most. Because when people align addictions and and before you said what your addiction was in this little chat, when we talk about addiction, everyone thinks drugs straight away. That's that's the first thing you think of. Drugs or alcohol. And so when you're talking about someone who's got a, a chemical addiction, they, you can look at them and go, oh, well, they're, they're chemically addicted. They, they can't get rid of that. They, their body needs that. And then when you talk about your addiction, which is a physical addiction, it's a different thing. Again, although I'm guessing chemically driven through your mind, and I know nothing about it, so that's a wild guess on my behalf, that's where people find the difficulty in understanding. Even though when you've come clean to mum and the family and everybody, they go, well, why can't you just stop? You're not you're not chemically driven to do this. So mm. it's really hard for people to, to draw an alliance there, isn't it? No, definitely. And that's 
why can't you stop? It's such a an easy question, and it should be such an easy answer. And that's where the battles that you'd have with an as an addict myself is when I by the end of it, as I said, I didn't care about the money at the start, but by the end of it, I wasn't enjoying gambling. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, and I was. I'd be betting, I'd be getting paid on a Thursday or a Wednesday. I'd be spending that the next day or the current day. So I've got six days to wait to be paid again. And those six days there, you were saying, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be, things are going to be different. And then payday, back, straight back to the old pattern again. It's just trying to break that pattern that was so hard. And by the end, I knew I was embarrassed by the end because I, because I was so methodical with it. I'd go in, there was two pubs I'd always go to. It was always the North Side and the Boomerang. And for me, it was I'd pull up in the car park and I'd scan the car park to see if I'd recognise any cars. And if I didn't, I'd then walk through the pub straight to the toilet. So for me to go straight to the toilet, I'm walking through the bar. I can see everyone in the TAB. If I knew anyone there, I could just say, I'm going to the toilet and you know, I'm out again. If I didn't know anyone there, I'd come straight back out. I'd be betting and I'd be hiding in corners, watching the races. Or worst case, if I knew someone there, I'd go to the next pub, put a few bets on there and go home. And then you sit in your room. The amount of times that... I just sat in my room for hours and hours just looking at my phone at a score change every minute or two, whether it be basketball, whether it be footy, and then just you cry yourself to sleep every night going, I'm not enjoying this, I don't want to do this, and the next day you're at it again. Yeah, it's just a mm. constant cycle. It's a terribly debilitating thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and I Because you're chasing the high. I find that interesting, though, because Trent keeps saying he wasn't enjoying it. So... You know, the closest thing I've had to an addiction is I smoked, and but I enjoyed it. And when I didn't enjoy it is when I actually gave up. So that's the only thing I can relate it to. I, I couldn't imagine smoking or drinking or or whatever it is and, and not actually enjoying what I'm doing. You know, I find that really, yeah, that, that's, and that's tough. And again, that's the bit it's, that's hard to wrap your head around yeah, and understand that's right. where you're coming from. So you've that's got to right. a point where you've gone, okay, I need some help. So you've, you were that embarrassed, can I say that? You were that embarrassed with yourself, your life, the way you were treating your family, the circle that you were spinning yourself into, that you've gone, righto, that's it. I've got to do something about this. Yeah, it was just, it was just crossroads. I knew it, it, it was, could have been so easy to – I had so many – for months and months, especially the last 12 months, I was, I was coaching – soccer my first year of coaching and time everyone with uh, gambling or whether it be drugs it's always a time thing yep and it always set aside right, i'm going to finish work i'm going to the tavern which is down the road from where we train i've got all my stuff set up i know what i'm going to do for training and i've got an hour on the punt how good's this so i'd go to the tavern five o'clock comes around right i gotta go down the ground oh no i'll wait a little bit longer and all of a sudden i'm getting down there at quarter to six ten to six and i'm just everything i had planned and wanted to do just gets pushed aside and i knew sort of through then like I'm now not affecting me. I'm affecting, like, it's going to be a whole soccer club at this mm. stage. And I don't want to go down the path of, I want to be a leader. I want to be lead by example. I want people to look up to me. So if I'm not setting that example, it's going to come and get you. And it, it didn't really stop me. But the crushing point at the end of it was just getting paid at the end of it. Mum, then asking mum, you know, two days later for money. And she just said, where'd your check go? And that's when I was, put your arms out and go, it's gone. And that was when she said, I'd give up. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's the real constant cycle. Something that's went over and over and you couldn't beat that habit until you had that time away. Give the money away. I'd had no access to money by the end of it. So if I didn't have access to money, I couldn't gamble. Sure. And they were as hard as it was. And I mean, 27, 28, not having my 
bank accounts. I'm getting drip fed, mm. you know, 50 bucks. And if I get money out of that account, then mum's straight away going, where is it? I guess a funny part of that though, I guess, is I went to Melbourne, went to Geelong Cats, best and fairest. And because mum did have access to all my accounts, she knew where I was going. And I was at the strippers one night uh, at the bar. So they came up with my statement, obviously. And Why the- didn't you go and get cash out like you did when you gambled? Yeah, I just knew that if I got cash out, be, like, if I didn't have receipts, then there's going to be more questions. And, and I can at least laugh about that part of it. Yeah. So it was a justification process that that essentially helped you at the end of the day. The fact that you had to justify every minute of your spending to somebody else, making you accountable for yourself, is what has helped you step up? Yeah, definitely. And not having access, the biggest thing for me was not being able to do it. And as I said, the longest parts I had away from getting those six days were when I was waiting to be paid again. And those six days were hard, but it takes, they always said, 90 days to break a habit. So when I did hand everything over and had no access to any money outside of what I was being drip fed and had to justify that, that were hard days. And through one thing you get taught through the gambling anonymous meetings are if you do feel like gambling, just make a phone call and you don't have to talk about gambling. Or So I'd, I rang Griffo a few times and there was times where I'd ring Trent as well and I wouldn't tell Trent that I feel like gambling. I'd just ring him and just talk have to him. Have a chat. Yeah. And then by that two-minute phone yeah. call and you hop off, you just feel a bit of relief and you, yep. you start to wonder why, you know why I'm not going down that path again. Yeah, and we talk about that with mental wellness, don't we, and mental health is the mm. fact that if you're feeling a bit depressed or you're feeling like, you know, you're falling backwards in some way, that to reach out and have a conversation with somebody about anything is is the best thing you can do. Mm. Did you also have help, mate, going the other way where people would dial your number and say, yeah. hey, how are you travelling today? Yeah, definitely. And they were good. Like at, at the first it was it was hard getting those phone calls because you, you didn't want to think about gambling and then you're sort of getting a phone call to say, how are you feeling about your gambling? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But at the same time on the flip side is like caring. Confront it. Yeah, and, and they – they want to hear how you're going, which was, for me, I didn't deserve anyone in my corner. Always felt because I'd done so much damage that I had to do this on my own. Mm. So it was, wasn't. So when, when you were hiding it and, um, you know, walking into pubs and if you knew someone, so at what point did others know friends other than your parents and your brother? Like at, at what point did your soccer and footy mates know or, or, or did they not know till you come clean? Yeah, I don't think they really – I don't think they knew the extent. Again, they they knew I loved having a yeah, bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but with soccer, I was always – I felt like I was always performing. So I guess with um, gambling compared to narcotics and alcohol, is it's a bit of a hidden – Yes, yes. Yeah, that's just yep. – you can actually hide it compared to those two. Correct. So I felt like I was, I was playing well, I was performing well. I'd go to the tavern after games and I'd never eat. And my thing was I can't eat after games, whereas deep down I had no money to eat. Yeah. Mm. So I think – I felt like the people in my head, they were looking at me going, he's looking after himself, like he's doing the right things and he'll go home and have an ice bath and stuff like that, whereas I'll go home and cry my eyes out. But it was, yeah, so I don't think they really knew the extent until I came fully clean. Mm. That was really nice to hear that um, Maddie came out on social media about a year clean and that drove you, I suppose, you know, it's that whole thing and it includes what we're doing. It's it's putting it out there and if you can uh, lead by example and yeah. if you can help other people by yeah. like what you're doing and what Griffo did and, yeah. and many other people in, in similar situations. And bloody hard, Bernie. I mean yeah, that's it's, hard. It's well, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's you, embarrassing. You don't want the chink in your armour to be to be shown, do you? No, and you do find 
when I first went public with it, not to the extent of look at me. It was even even I don't even remember writing my first post on Facebook about you know I'm going to own up to it. But at, looking back now, I just needed someone to, to always look at me so I'm not doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And that sort of went hand in hand yeah. with if I go out for lunch or stuff like that to a pub, I always make sure I'm five minutes late or ten minutes late so that I'm not in there on my own. And I felt like I could be in there on my own, but just the thoughts of if someone spots me in there after me being social uh, public about my what identity, are you doing? Why are you yeah. yeah, what are you up to? And that's the yeah. last thing I yeah. need to be questioned through. You don't want to be seen to be sneaking around, even though you're not. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. just being normal. Yeah. And that was at the start, it was definitely through the start of the recovery, I thought I don't need to be questioned. I don't, whereas now I'm comfortable with that. I know that my support network now, I still get asked from mum or family, have you had a bet? And I can say no. And I know they trust that. Whereas yeah. I think they know that if I had had, had a bet, I'm now going to say, yeah, like, I, mm. I don't think I can hide from that anymore. Yeah. Hey, mate, you said huge. before 90 days to break a habit. So that's obviously that's something that's part of the education process. Is it true? I believe so. It's one thing, whether it was bang on 90 days or not, I felt like those 90 days were the longest part of my life. There was so many tears, there was anger, there was frustration. And the worst part is you probably take a bit of frustration and anger out on, on your family because they're the ones that have taken that money, taken that money, it's not yours, but they nah. have stopped you from doing what you've done yep. for so long. So I look back now and that part of it doesn't sit well with me, but I just remember that I'd make phone calls when I felt like gambling and almost like 90 days had come up and I just remember waking up going, how good's this? And it was just a, a sunny day, and I think, oh, it's a sunny day today. And next day it might be rain. I think, oh, it's raining. How good? I just missed out on that massive period where. So was it mm. ninety days? You didn't feel like having a bet. You didn't think about having a bet. I felt, I felt exactly that, and and this that was the, the catch, I guess. So at first, I'd gone three over three years without having a bet, and to me, sorry, before it was six months without having a bet, or even less than that, and I started going to GA meetings. And that's when I've relapsed for the major time. That's when Matt came out to the family and that's when everything's just, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore. And then that period there, I always joke to Matt now, I felt like I was cured. Like I, I genuinely mm. felt like I went to these GA meetings and I thought I can do this again and stopped doing the GA meetings, started going back into old habits and found myself gambling again. And just gambling to the extent that I wasn't doing before. Yep. It was just like once I'd done it, I've got nothing to lose here. I'm going to keep going. Do you know, mate, you're picking up on a very common theme that we're hearing every time we talk to somebody. There's a mate. There's somebody. There's a family mm. member. There's there's an assistance that you're getting. There's always that person who asks a question or is there and made themselves available for you to ask a question that you need that little bit of help up. You're mm. seeing that in, in yeah, each of our discussions as we're going absolutely. around. It's wildly important and, you know, that we're there for our up friends. You know, the phone to a mate, to your brother, um, and, you know, young Brent DeReeves, you know, very different situation to you, Trent, but his biggest thing and, and his biggest take out and advice to mm. others who were considering suicide was just ring someone, just anyway. And, and again, you don't need to talk about it. But it's just ring someone. It must be like yeah. that almost distraction. Yep. And I think that we're, we're and, hearing your story yeah. and obviously we didn't dive in super deeply, but if you had have kept going and not reached out for help and not had that trigger point, you could have gone down a, a terribly dark spiralling hole, couldn't you? I almost know for a fact that I wouldn't be almost. And that's why I always think 
every time I talk to Matt or talk to someone about Matt, it's just he saved my life. And that's at the end of the day, he saved my life. Even now when I talk to him, I've never been more grateful. Obviously, my family have done so much for me, mm. but he's just someone that sat in my corner the whole time. And him helping me come out, not again, not justify to my family what happened, but come clean to your family. Matt's been in those shoes and he can tell them what to expect. And I don't know for a fact that my mum was talking to Matt after that and saying, like, what should I be looking for? And is Kate okay? Like, she wouldn't come to me. She'd go to Matt. And he was just, it was so. What a great resource. Yeah. And a great resource of someone who's walked your shoes. So as to help well. other people out, and you just touched on that, what would you tell people to be aware of? If someone in their life they think has got an addiction as to gambling or whatever, it doesn't matter. I think there might be some similarities between, you know, different addictions. What would you ask say to them to say, look, be aware of this, this, and this? And, and you don't. It's not going to be perfect for everybody. I understand that. Yeah. But is there anything? Uh, I often say just look for patterns of behaviour. One common one that whenever I meet people now about um, their family members or or the person themselves is the biggest one I hear all the time is you know, they go to the pub on payday. And then, so straight away, the, the common thing is you're going to go to the pub, whether it be with your mates or, and you're sitting in that environment with the horses and, like, you may be there having a beer or, but that's where it all starts. So I, I even try and suggest little things like don't go to the pub on payday, go the following day or just skip that one day and, mm, and slowly change that behaviour. But the, the other thing that um, is really hard and unless you, the person wants help or admits that they need help, nothing's going to change mm. and the people i've spoken to i've had a bit of success with people i've had a bit of people a few people that's on i don't i can't really do that and then that's fine as well but i've had quite a few come to me and say i need my son needs help and for me they need to be the ones coming forward of course and which is the hardest part because as a parent like i look at my mum and what she's seen me go through I know that for a fact they're going through that at the moment as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's the hardest part to see that they're hurting so much, but until the person wants to help or admits they need help. And they are hurting because they want to help you. They yeah. want to give you what you need. Mm-hmm. For them to withdraw from that and to say no to you, no, I can't help you in your time of need, it's, that's so hard for them to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It's yeah. I, I've always been interested in getting the talking to like, parents of people have gone through it because i think they have another perspective again like i know talking to my mum it, it was probably 12 months after i come clean everything was good i'd never asked her how she was i never never brought it up and there's one time i actually did bring it up it was just so raw and i just said how how did you feel when i was going through it all or would you do anything different and her response was she'd get a loan out in the house and send me to rehab like she felt like she failed as a parent mm. and it was just so raw i never expected it but I never asked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's And right. people will say, you know, along the lines of, you know, tough love, best love, tough love. Yeah, try it. It's just because it's bullshit. It's, yeah. You cannot do mm. that to a, to a child. No. Not and, to your child anyway. And that, I, it's I, interesting because Cade now is a parent and, and I know, you know, young Hallie's only very little but they're the type of things that you're going to experience yourself of how hard it is to give tough love. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, the old saying, you've got to be cruel to be kind, which, mm. I mean, your mum obviously got to that point too where she threw her hands up in the air and she said, I've, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, because they, they gave me the most. That was They did pat me on the back a lot and say it's going to be okay and it wasn't until they got to the point where it was, we've, we can't keep doing this. Yeah, they were done. It, it really sort of, I, I'll never forget those two looks that I got. It was just, they really stand out that. Yep. 
you know what, mate, you're going to lose these people soon. Yeah, that's right. So things got pretty dark, Kate, didn't they? At, at your worst, it, you know, you said you didn't didn't want to be here anymore, didn't phase you whether you did or not. And I'm bloody glad that you you hung around and you fought through this because obviously you're you're a, a huge help to many others. If we gave you a billboard that you could put up wherever you like, what would you say on that billboard? If you could narrow it down to one sentence, paragraph, whatever. It'd have to be something around just use your voice. As we sort of spoke about, talk to someone. Your voice is such a powerful thing and it's something as simple as, I know it sounds so simple and we often say like just ring someone and chat to them and just tell them they're Mm. okay. You still can't do it for whatever reason. But I can honestly, I know for a fact that there's people sitting in my shoes where I was, sorry, and they're thinking that I'm the only one that's going through this. And that's what I thought for so long. Yeah. It wasn't until I had the chance to talk to the like-minded people that are going through the exact same thing, completely different stories, but you go, it's not just me and I'm not alone here. Mm. Mm. And it wasn't until I actually made some phone calls and spoke to people that you, you do start to feel, I feel better for passing on what I can. Of course. But I get so much out of it myself just from learning what I'm going through, what I went through. Uh, and how I, well, I don't want to go back down that path. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I just something around you is your voice. Mm. Your voice is powerful. So we play a game at the end of each of our little chats. Play um, a game, do well, we? We play a little game and we ask you questions and we just go, rightio, give us a quick off-the-cuff answer. He knows. He's Should listened to all of our nah, episodes. I listen to it. So we go like this one. Your preference, whiskey or rum? Whiskey. Cool. What's the other one we talk about? No, Text or call? Text. Giving or receiving? Giving, I'm definitely, not to harp on it, but I'll, if I give something, I'll feel better in myself. It's almost a selfish way. I feel it's selfish of me to give because I feel better for it, if that makes sense. Yep. Facebook or Instagram? Facebook. High school or adult life? High school, looking back. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we play a game with the last one where we try and guess the answer, so don't tell us. Scrunch or fold? I'm thinking he's a folder. It's very yeah. methodical. Yeah, I reckon I'll go fold. Definitely fold. Ah, we're all right. Three pieces, three ways. (laughs) (laughs) Three pieces, three ways. I know a guy who's ex-military and he can take a single piece of toilet paper and use it a dozen times. They know how to fold it and fold it and ah, fold it and fold it. It's gross. insane. Jesus. Things that's I had gross. to do. I yeah. to that point. Thanks for spending time with yeah, us, Yeah, thanks so no, much, Kate. Be You're doing such a good job. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I really, We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, good on you and, and best of luck with the rest of your journey too. No, yeah. thank you. Long journey ahead, but we'll be fine. Of course we'll. Good man. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.